Uh, we have a very special guest to uh, read our scripture this morning, so. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what I, Christmas is all about, Charlie oh, Brown. Sorry, Linus. I stepped on you. <laughs> I stepped on the most important line of the whole thing. My goodness, I work on my cues. Um, I don't know if you can relate to Charlie Brown or not. Uh, amidst all of the noise and the chaos of the season, uh, Charlie Brown asks the question that I think probably, in many respects, is on a lot of people's minds. Does anybody know the real meaning of Christmas? Uh, last week, Tom Warner introduced our uh, Advent sermon series to you that we're, we're looking at this theme all I want for Christmas is, and then we're, we're filling in the blanks in different ways. And Tom talked last Sunday about uh, all I want for Christmas is presents. And he looked at the, the visit of the Magi as they came uh, to visit the Christ child and the difference between uh, Herod and his heart and the difference uh, between that and, and that of the, of the Magi. But that's the, the question we want to uh, engage with all month long is what exactly is it that we're looking for? Uh, and joy seems to be one of those uh, questions. You know, Tom said last week in a sermon, you finished opening up all the presents, you know, kind of there's paper strewn all over the living room, and maybe you don't verbalize this, but in your heart or in your mind, you're thinking, is there anything else? Uh, is there anything more? Uh, and I don't think that's a question about material possessions. I, I don't think it's a question of, boy, if I just had one more gift that would really put me over the top. Uh, we've all had Christmases where we've gotten wonderful gifts, and we've all gotten Christmases, had Christmases where, where we've been disappointed by our gifts. I, I think I've told you a story before. My parents used to tape record our, our uh, Christmas mornings as we opened the presents, and one year there was a particular gun I wanted, and uh, you can hear this little voice uh, when he opens up the wrapper saying, that's not the right one. That's not the, that's not the, Santa got, brought the, the wrong one, and I, you hear my dad saying, I told you, one wasn't the right, you got the wrong one. You know, I, that's actually an edited version of what my father said, but it's not so much a question of the toys as it is there's something, there's a yearning in our hearts. There's a longing in our lives to, uh, to understand uh, what there is uh, in this life that is, that is more than just gifts and, and rappers. And we want to have a perfect Christmas. We want you know, pictures of laughter uh, and joy and, and family gatherings and, and happiness. Those are the kind of images uh, that kind of play over and over in our mind. And I guess the question is, is that a reasonable expectation? Is it reasonable for us to, to want something more? I want to broaden the question just a bit. I want to take it beyond just the Christmas context, although I think this time of year is a good introduction to it. And I want to ask the question is, is it possible to experience true personal joy on a daily basis? Is it possible that joy could actually be 
uh, one of the, the defining characteristics of my life? And if so, what does that look like? And, 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 and the bigger question is, what does God have to do with my joy? You know, for most of us, uh, at some point in our lives, maybe even this morning as you're, as you're here uh, at Green Tree Community Church, God and joy don't seem to go together. They're, it's almost an oxymoron to talk about God and joy. I mean, isn't God worried about all that religion stuff? Isn't God kind of sitting up in heaven with, a, with his, you know, his brow furrowed and his arms crossed and expecting us to obey the rules and ready to pounce when we don't? I mean, isn't God more disappointed with us and maybe just kind of putting up with us uh, rather than rejoicing in, in who we are? If you look at the, the scripture passage that Linus read, uh, I think you see the shepherds have somewhat of a typical response that many of us do when we engage with God uh, and thinking about interacting with him. And the shepherds are in the fields uh, watching their flocks by night. Uh, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. God's direct representative comes to them. And the glory of God, the, the light of God, the brightness of God, the majesty of God uh, shined all around them. Their night became his day. And look at their response. They were terrified. They were terrified. What on earth is going on? Why is God here? What did we do wrong? Are we in trouble now? What's happened? I think so many of us have that kind of reaction that to put God and joy together sometimes seems to be a bit of a disconnect. I want to examine this question of joy this morning. I want to do it three different ways. The first is I want us to look at a definition of joy. Secondly, I want to look at the impediments to joy. And then thirdly, I want to explore the pathway uh, for joy. Because I think uh, many of us maybe are like the shepherds. We're, we're a bit terrified. Maybe we, we have a guilty conscience. Maybe we have a, a misunderstanding of who God is, but we don't put God and joy together. And I, and I think Scripture does that, and I want us to consider it this morning. So my first point this morning is how do you define joy? And I've really wrestled with this. I've really thought through this this week because for so many of us, if you, if you picked one synonym to go along with joy, it would probably be the word happiness. So many people say, you know, um, if I'm joyful, that's the same as being happy. And happiness is, is a bit of an emotional response. You tend to be happy when certain things happen to you. And I want to suggest that joy is actually deeper than that. It's much more profound than just simple happiness. A working definition I have for joy is three words. Contentment with perspective. Contentment with perspective. What do I mean by that? Well, the first thing I mean by that is that joy is based on knowledge, not on circumstances. And, and um, Anthony alluded to that. He actually said that in his call to worship this morning. He said, you know, one of the challenges we have as Christians is that oftentimes our circumstances dictate how we feel. And we have a lack of joy because our circumstances aren't what we think they should be. And I, and I think that Anthony's exactly right, but I think Scripture tells us that real joy is based on knowledge, not on circumstance. James chapter 1, you're not going to turn there, but James says to the disciples of Jesus in his generation, count it all joy, and he uses this exact same word, count it all joy when you face trials and struggles of various kinds. Now that's a nutty statement. Count it joy when tough things happen to you, when the difficulties come, when the storms of life are encompassing you, when your faith is really being tested at that moment of crisis, count that as joy. Why? Well, James goes on to say, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance, so on and so forth. And he, and he plays the whole thought process out. But the word in that sentence that grabbed my attention this week like never before was that word know. You count it all joy because you know something. You know something beyond the visible. You know something beyond the immediate set of circumstances. 
And so if joy is contentment, it must be contentment with perspective, with understanding, with insight. I also want to suggest that joy is more than physical or emotional pleasure. Joy is more than just physical or emotional pleasure. It is, in fact, spiritual. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, and Paul is writing about the, the, the works of the flesh, and he's talking about the, the negative things that, 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 that happen and, and that we're uh, involved in in our lives, and then he talks about the evidence of the Holy Spirit being present in our lives. And, and if you know the Scriptures at all, you know that's called the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit's present, you'll see these kinds of things. And the first thing he says is you'll see love, and the second thing he says is you'll see joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. To pursue joy in this life, void of a spiritual context, is absolute futility. So many of us are looking for joy in our circumstances, based upon our circumstances, based upon our experiences, and we're trying to get one more experience in before we go. If you've ever seen the movie The Bucket List, great movie, wonderful movie. Uh, You ought to watch it. It, it. It's really an interesting movie. But you know what? They're pursuing joy based on what they can find on this side of the grave. And it comes up terribly, terribly short. The smartest guy ever to walk around on the planet was King Solomon. And uh, Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy, did a series on Ecclesiastes last summer. And I encourage you to go to the the website and uh, listen to those sermons. Again, if you uh, have heard them before, if you haven't heard them, listen to them for the first time. But he, he talks about Solomon's journey looking for pleasure. And I'm not going to read all of this passage for you today, but in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is talking about all the things he's chased after, all the ways that he has spent his time pursuing joy. He says, I'm trying to figure out how to experience pleasure, to enjoy myself. I said, uh, I'm going to cheer my body with wine. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I planted gardens. I planted parks. I made for myself pools with which water of the forest could, could uh, water the trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had great possessions of herds and flocks. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. I had many concubines, the delight of the children of men. I was so great, my greatness surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And all this time, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eye desires, I did not keep it for myself. So Solomon goes on this journey for joy, looking in all of the things around him in the physical realm. And he concludes this. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity, a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So many of us have voided our lives of joy within the spiritual context that we think that whether it's money uh, or physical pleasure of some kind or uh, gaining an intellectual understanding of a particular subject matter or possessions. And we think that's going to bring us joy, but the facts are we've been created with a soul. We've been created to be in relationship with God. And when we take that out of the context, that pursuit of joy is futility. There is no contentment ultimately in our lives. But I think as we, as we completely define joy, we also need to understand that joy is God's intention for his people. 
God intends for you to experience joy in your life. Look at verses 10 and 11 back in the Luke passage. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Notice what the angel says, I bring to you. Where's this joy coming from? Where is it being initiated? Where, where is the fountainhead, so to speak, of joy? It comes from God the Father. God is doing something miraculous in our lives. God is doing a work of salvation, which we'll talk about a little bit later on in the sermon, but he's doing something that's going to bring us joy. And the angel comes announcing, I've, I've got something to tell you. God is in the business of joy. So for those of us who, who have this, this mixed feeling that, you know, God and joy can't possibly go together, there's been a disconnect somewhere. and We need to try to restore that. We need to try to, to get that right. 179 times in Scripture, Scripture talks about joy. It talks about the desire of joy and the goodness of joy in our lives as it relates to our interaction with God the Father. I was talking to... Um, a couple of friends earlier this week, and they were uh, traveling down to Memphis this weekend to run in a half marathon, to run in a road race. And uh, we we're standing outside my office, and, and they both, have, you know, they kind of have runner's builds. They're slight, and, but I never knew that. I never knew that, that they ran marathons and half marathons. So I said, I said, I never knew that about you. And I almost think if, if God could come in the room this morning and, and, and some of us could put this together, you might say, joy in God? I never knew that about you, God. <laughs> I, I didn't think you really wanted to have anything to do with joy. I really thought you were all about, you know, kind of keeping me in my place. Maybe the light's coming on a little bit for the first time for us this morning. The contentment with perspective. Our joy is based on our knowledge, our knowledge of ourselves that we've been created to be in a relationship with God and that he desires to bring joy into our lives. So what are the impediments to joy? What are things that, are, that maybe stand in the way? What are, what are things that might block us in our, in our pursuit of joy. Now, there, there's lots of impediments. I'm not going to name all of them, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the ones that I do name this morning, but my, my goal here is just to kind of get the thought process going for you, to, to give you some suggestions that might help you think through this later on. I think this is a good uh, exercise in introspection to say, what really keeps me uh, from joy? The first one is when I allow my circumstances to, uh, to dictate uh, my spiritual well-being. You know, maybe I have a boss that's overbearing. Uh, maybe I hate my classes this semester. I've got a couple teachers that are really uh, making me miserable. My, maybe my marriage isn't everything that I hoped it would be, or I'm struggling in my relationship with my children. And we, and we have these circumstantial uh, uh, criteria, so to speak, that we put on whether or not we're going to be joyful. And we allow our circumstances to dictate uh, how uh, we embrace the joy of God. The second thing that can get in the way is life crisis. And these are, these are very real circumstances. Um, we can't pretend that life is good and easy and simple once we come to know Christ. There are going to be moments of grief. There are going to be moments of sorrow. That's why I said earlier that biblical joy is much more profound than just a feeling of happiness. Uh, Cindy asked me last Sunday uh, evening, said, why are you so angry right now? And as we talked through it and we worked through it, I realized that, that my anger was really my sadness coming out over the death of my father. And I'm still kind of in the middle of that. We're about a, about a, about a month out of my dad's death and I'm, and I'm still struggling with it. I hadn't even realized it. I didn't even think about it. But we began to put two and two together. And as we began to talk, it made a lot of sense. So you're going to have life crisis. These things are going to happen. But we need to remember the definition of joy, that it's commitment 
excuse me, contentment with perspective. I think that you grow in your perspective as you get older. Um, as I meet with the, uh, Mike Werkheiser and Phil Woods, who are two church planting pastors down in the city, I bring a perspective that they don't have. And it's only because I'm older. <laughs> it's only because I've, I've hit more bumps in the road that they have. And they come in and they're all excited. And I don't want to, I don't want to dim their excitement any, but I want to give them a little bit of perspective. And as you, as you go through life, as you have these challenging experiences, these life crises, one of the things that that can do is challenge whether or not the joy of God will really resonate in your heart. And I think that's a growing uh, experience uh, for the believer. But there's also another impediment to joy, and that is when you put your self-interest uh, ahead of everything else. When, you, uh, when your satisfaction in life for you, what you get out of it, what's in it for me, uh, I think that kind of self-absorbed mentality absolutely kills joy. When you're only concerned about what you want and when you want it and how you want it, it ends up making you, uh, can make you a very miserable person. It can make the people around you miserable, quite frankly. Uh, When you live for yourself, uh, you're not a very good friend. You're not a very good husband, father, brother, sister, mother, uh, whatever the case may be. There's a great scene in, uh, in the book, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and it's in the movie as well. And uh, the two main characters of the book, uh, Frodo, who's gone on this perilous journey to destroy this ring of power, and Gandalf, the wizard, who's helped him along the way. Uh, Frodo almost dies in the process, and he's saved it the very way. Uh, Frodo almost dies in the process, and he's saved it the very eyes in the process, and he's saved it the very last second. And when he wakes up, he's no longer at Mount Doom in this terrible place, but he's in this very comfortable bed. And there's daylight shining in it. He hasn't seen daylight for weeks. And he looks up and there's Gandalf uh, looking at him. And they both have been on this perilous journey that has come at great cost to them. And they've both had a tremendous, huge amount of self-sacrifice they've had to make in order to defeat this evil. And evil is actually personified in this book by self-absorption, by wanting all the power, wanting all of, of creation to live for you. That's Sauron. That's the evil Lord. And they've defeated him. And they look at each other when Frodo opens his eyes and they just begin to laugh. They don't say any words. There's no communication that's even necessary. They just look at each other and they laugh. When you're self-absorbed, there's no laughter. When all you think about is you and what you're going to get, you can't possibly look at another human being and experience the joy of your common faith, experience the joy of your relationship with God. Self-interest in the wrong sense of the word can destroy, can impede at least our joy. A fourth, and I'm going to give you five. The fourth is focusing on a criteria to be met in order for me to be joyful. I'll be happy when. Now, how would you fill in that blank? I'll, I'll, I'll be joyful if. How would you fill in that blank? I was, uh, we were sitting at dinner last night and Katie asked, was asking about the Advent sermon series because we weren't in church last Sunday. And um, I said, you know, we're it's the whole idea of all I want for Christmas. And I I was kind of playing it out. And so I said, you know, all I want for Christmas is, and I paused and Jordan, without looking up from his meal said, everybody at church to tithe. And then he kept on eating. (laughs) I didn't get quite as much applause as I did for the benediction comment earlier. I'm not, not, not sure why. And I said, yeah, Jordan, that's, that's a great idea. Why don't you come preach the sermon tomorrow, you know? And wear your ratty jeans. Maybe that'll help a little bit. Um, he wears his ratty jeans on purpose. Um, but what, what's my criteria? When will I be joyful? 
I'll be joyful if. I'll be joyful when. You know, life, family, friends, possessions, all that's ultimately going to disappoint. And if they're at the center of my pursuit of joy, then I'm destined to be disappointed. And I'll give you one last impediment to joy, and that's bad theology. Um, If you don't understand the gospel in its fullness and in its richness, and if you replace it with something other than the God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, your your joy is going to be impeded. Um, Some folks say, you know, theology isn't all that important. And and to to a degree, I I appreciate that comment and I agree with that comment. But to another uh, extent, I don't. Because if you think about what bad theology means, it means a misunderstanding of God. And I said, you know, a lot of us maybe struggle with, you know, putting God and joy together. Well, that's bad theology, friends, because that's not the God of the Bible. That might be something you've heard somewhere. That might be, might be something that, that has been ingrained in your mind by somebody, but it's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who longs for a relationship, who has gone to an unbelievable extreme to draw us back to himself, to save us, to offer us love and compassion and kindness and give us true reason for joy. So those are some of the impediments to joy. But if joy is contentment with perspective, and we know that there's some things that maybe stand in our way, then how do we explore this pathway to joy? How do we find contentment with perspective? Well, let me, let me give you just a, a couple of thoughts here. The first is this, is we need to consider God's attitude and God's gift for us. Look at verse 12 in uh, Luke chapter 2. It's a fa- very famous verse. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And the, the old King James, the swaddling cloth lying in a manger. And you have this really sweet picture of baby Jesus, don't you? I mean, uh, you know, just you got him in a little manger there and the cattle are lowing, but the baby awakes and no crying. You know, it's just a, such a sweet picture, right? I mean, that's why Ricky Bobby loved to pray to baby Jesus, right? I told my kids last night I was going to use Ricky Bobby in the sermon. They were like, Dad, please, whatever you do, don't do it. I can't help it. I'm sorry. I'm just warped that way. But Ricky Bobby, it's a, it's a, it's a comedy. Don't see that movie. Um, he prayed to baby Jesus because sweet little baby Jesus. Well, sure, everybody loves sweet little baby Jesus. But why was he in that barn to begin with? It was a stop on his journey to the cross. You can't keep Jesus in a manger. He grew up, he became a man. And he became a man and lived a perfect life, a sinless life, in order that he could climb onto that cross and take upon the punishment for your sins and for my sins. And we can't explore this idea of joy void of understanding the cross of Christ and everything that that demonstrates about God's love and compassion and mercy. Friday night, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who's a young mother, and uh, she's been a mom for a couple of years now. I said, tell me, what's, what's one of the things you've learned? In the last two, two and a half years, you know, what's, one, what's one of the great lessons? And she said, without blinking an eye, I never thought I could love anybody as much as I love this little kid. And then she went on to say, and you know what else has taught me? I can't imagine giving my child for somebody else, especially for a bad person. And it's reminded me about the profound nature of the cross of Christ. Friends, that's joy. That's it in a nutshell. It's understanding that God's gift to us is a sweet gift, is is a gift that we should cherish and embrace 
because it brings that perspective of God's love and compassion. I think the other thing we need to understand is that it's for people just like us. Look at verses 13 and 14. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, a lot of people look at that peace on, on, on whom men on whom his favor rests. They go, okay, what do I have to do to get God's favor? And that's not what the sentence is about. The sentence is about God's act of peace already. His favor now rests upon mankind at the coming of Jesus Christ. He is acting favorably towards sinners like you and sinners like me by offering Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. But it's not just for the rich and for the famous and for the powerful and for the intellectually elite. It's for the shepherds. It's for you and me. It's for everyday folks who have been broken and bruised by this world. It's for every one of us who have turned our back on God and decided we're going to live without him. We're going to seek joy in another way. And it's, it's for those of us that have sinned that Christ has come in order to offer God's salvation. If you don't understand it's for you, then you'll never understand the true sense of the word joy. And so this morning, perhaps as a disciple, you need to refocus on God's grace Maybe you've been distracted from joy. Maybe the world's cares, maybe your own sinfulness, maybe you've made some bad decisions. Uh, Maybe you haven't followed Christ as you should. And perhaps this morning, it's an opportunity for repentance. It's an opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, thank you again for what you've done. Renew my heart with your joy that I can follow you and that I can love you and I can share this with others. Maybe for some of you this morning, you've never understood Christ as Savior and Lord. Notice, and I'm not going to go back to those verses, but notice who was born this day in the city of David. A Savior, one who's come to redeem, one who's come to offer new life to those of us that are dead in our sins. Christ has come. And perhaps for you this morning, the first step is simply to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. <laughs> be my Savior. Be my Lord. I long for the joy that only you can offer. I'm glad that Charlie Brown asked the question. I'm glad for Linus uh, reminding us of the real reason, but I'm glad Charlie Brown asked the question because I think it's a question that's on a lot of people's hearts. Does anybody know the real meaning of Christmas? I hope we see this morning that joy is not just uh, a giddy feeling or a fleeting moment of laughter, but it's a rich contentment with perspective. There are impediments. There are some very real challenges in our lives. Some of these of our own making, some of them are just foist upon us because we live in a broken world. But my prayer for each one of us is that we will explore God's pathway to joy through Christ Jesus. That our desire will be that God blesses us with joyful hearts centered upon Him, resting in His care and His love, be recipients of His grace in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we say to one another, Merry Christmas. Uh, We say to one another, we hope that uh, you have a joyful Christmas. Father, that points to a longing in our hearts. It points to a deep desire for contentment, for the answers to to the deepest issues of life and death. It points to a deep desire for contentment, for the answers to to the deepest issues of life and death. Lord Jesus, you are the embodiment of joy. You are the one who has come to redeem us. As Nehemiah said to the people of the Old Testament, the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Well, Father, I pray this Christmas would be a joy-filled Christmas for every person in this room, every man, woman, and child, that we would gain a contentment, not because we've gotten the right gifts, not because the family's gathering went just perfectly and, and everybody behaved themselves, not because folks lived up to our expectations, but because our eyes are fixed on the cross of Christ.